Welcome to Neuroethics Today, a science and society podcast about emerging ethical and societal implications of neuroscience research and neurotechnology. In this show, we'll interview experts in the fields of neuroscience, neuroethics, and neurotechnologies. We will highlight pressing questions, discuss thought-provoking ideas, and raise awareness on the importance of neuroethics in our daily lives. Keep listening to Get Curious and Critical. Welcome, everybody, and welcome back to a new episode of Neuroethics Today. Today, on this episode, I will be interviewing Dr. Nicole Martinez-Martin. She is a, an assistant professor at the Center for Biomedical Ethics at Stanford University. She received her uh, law degree at Harvard Law School and her doctorate in social sciences from the University of Chicago. Her research interests really concern the impact of new technologies on the treatment of vulnerable populations. Her recent work in bioethics and neuroethics really focuses on the ethics of AI or artificial intelligence, digital health technology, such as digital phenotyping, computer vision for medical and behavioral applications. Um, thank you very much, uh, uh, Nicole, for, for being here with me and for accepting to discuss for the topic of today, uh, digital mental health interventions, in particular mental health uh, um, mobile applications. Well, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate this chance uh, to talk with you uh, and about uh, these issues. So, Nicole, if we can start a little bit, can you give us, you know, a background on this upcoming and really booming uh, um, field of um, a digital mental health um, um, applications and interventions? Sure. Uh, so about, you know, so several years ago, there there really started to be a, a groundswell of investment and interest in digital mental health, uh, which can include uh, apps as, you know, the, the main type of technology that I think a lot of people are familiar with, um, but also can cover a range of, you know, wearables or, or algorithms that get used uh, for mental health purposes. Uh, and I, I think that, you know, there were a couple reasons there were there was such interest in it. Uh, you know, one is uh, because of smartphones, wearables, you know, really providing these opportunities uh, to reach people in ways that, you know, they, they may not have been as accessible or reachable before. Uh, and uh, that, you know, there also, of course, is a need that, you uh, in the U.S., for example, uh, you know, it's estimated that, you know, perhaps only, you know, 45 percent of people who have mental health needs actually get connected to those services. And so that, that was part of the, the investment and interest, which once we hit the pandemic and you, of course, have a real need for uh providing socially distanced care uh, during that time, uh, it, it really then, uh, you know, took off, uh, you know, even, even beyond, uh, I think, and more rapidly uh, than it had been before. Uh, and, you know, w with this, there, there's, the, as I said, there, there are opportunities uh, to provide care in ways that weren't possible before. Um, but, you know, as we'll talk about more, uh, there, there's, of course, also a number of challenges in terms of 
using digital mental health apps that that truly can in ways that truly benefit the people who who need that mental health care that's 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 very interesting and especially that you mentioned also how uh this has become more evident with the with the with the current uh covid 19 pandemic but I mean, as I already mentioned, we know that this is really a booming um, industry and there are already more than 10,000 mental health applications available and almost 100 new digital mental health startups on a yearly basis. Um, we know, according to some, some, some research, that a majority of these mental health applications are not necessarily evidence-based. Um, and of course, this could uh, be considered as one of the challenges that, that you mentioned come or are, are associated with these mental health applications. Even though a majority of them is not necessarily evidence-based, could, could they still be effective in um, in, in, in offering uh, mental health support to, to users and patients? Uh, certainly, certainly there, there's still um, a lot of indications that some, some apps <laughs> can be effective. And, uh, you know, you bring up a, a range of issues. One is, you know, of course, that there's so many of them. Uh, and there, there's still not, uh, you know, a fully effective mechanisms for evaluating them and also letting people know, you know, which ones really work, which ones don't. Uh, but there are also indications in terms of how you use certain types of apps. There's, you know, a huge range of apps, some of which are skills-based, meaning that, you know, they're, they're only meant to uh, do, you know, certain types of tasks, like help someone with a uh, with you know meditation, for example, um, or uh, you know more focused thinking, or you know tasks to get through the day, uh, you know if you are depressed, while others you know full on uh, seem to be pushing towards you know what are ways to replace a therapist. So there's a huge range of them, and you know for for studies of uh, effectiveness, what a lot of them lean towards is indicating that. Apps that are aimed at people with, you know, moderate to mild mental health issues uh, and that focus on, you know, some specific, uh, you know, types of mental health work, uh, you know, like monitoring uh, your own anxiety or, or as I said, uh, you know, things like, you know, um, meditation, that those can be helpful uh, in those instances. Um, but that uh, best practices, you know, would lean towards uh, there being, you know, some some oversight, um, some ways of making sure that, you know, the apps are delivered to uh, the appropriate people to who, who should be uh, to be using them. So, for example, uh, you know, people with more severe mental illness, you know, having some interaction mm -hmm. uh, then with a. Uh, with a, you know, trained, uh, you know, psychiatrist or therapist is more indicated. So, you know, a, a part of the underlying issue is, is of course, safety effectiveness is a huge concern, uh, but also, you know, what, what systems are set up in order to effectively use those tools? Because they are just tools. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, whether they're, uh, uh, you know, are, 
mechanisms uh, for oversight um, that that helps so that those that can be used effectively are used in ways that that you know make them more helpful you know within the the overall um, system of mental health needs okay so I think we can also conclude that um, um, despite not having enough uh, um, um, evidence-based research done on those apps they they can really uh, um, um, help uh, users in, in, in some way, and especially if we're talking about those mild to moderate uh, cases of um, mental health disorders. So, so would that be a, a correct summary of, of, of the, the, the current state of the art? Generally, yes. Um, but I, I do at the same time want to underline that, you know, identifying which ones are effective and safe is still a big issue <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. that, you know, really does need to be, uh, you know, uh, more effective solutions for being able to do that very much uh, need to be found. Because, as I said, some are effective, you know, for certain purposes. Um, but it's, it's, a huge problem if people don't know which ones those are um, yeah, obviously definitely yeah and if we want to look at um um something other than safety and efficacy what what would you say are the associated risks uh, with applying tech such as or technologies such as uh, digital mental health um, applications to the global mental health shortage I, I think, well, you know, one thing is, uh, you know, in the larger sense, uh, a risk is not recognizing them as tools that can be used, you know, to address a specific, a specific issue, you know, if they're, uh, you know, properly vetted, you know, used properly, um, and, and simply thinking, you know, uh, that, uh, uh, you know, an app will solve it, yeah. <laughs> um, is, is a sort of bigger picture issue with that. Um, within that, uh, you know, I think uh, there are, you know, a number of problems in terms of, uh, you know, recognizing that, uh, you know, even those that are effective, they're, they're not going to work for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, that This happens in our current mental health system, that it can be hard finding the right medication, that it can be hard finding the right therapist. Um, with digital mental health tools, you know, there, there's that, there's finding the right fit, there's finding ones that are safe and effective, but there's also, uh, you know, that um, the way that the tools are designed, they, they may be uh, developed and used more with, you know, affluent, <laughs> uh, you know, city dwelling people who are yeah. already familiar with tech already in mind. Uh, and I, I think that really needs to be underlined that if you're trying to solve problems of, you know, access with the global mental health shortage, uh, then a, a lot more work needs to be done in making sure that there are tools that can reach, you know, different types of communities, different uh, types of mental health needs uh, as, as part of that. I think this is this is uh, really well phrased, which brings me actually to my next question. Do we see, and, and, and I assume probably the answer to this is yes, do we see disparities <laughs> between high income and low to middle income countries when it comes to, uh, in particular, those digital mental health interventions? Uh, certainly, you know, a, a, as you uh, as you surmised, uh, the answer is yes. 
Um, I, I want to, you know, quickly note that uh, it's not just differences, um, you know, between you know high-income country and uh, you know LMICs uh, that within, you know, for example, the U.S. with the pandemic and the use of uh, digital mental health tools. Uh, because there's a lot of, uh, you know, income and economic disparity in the U.S., uh, it really came to the fore that, you know, rural areas uh, where they have less infrastructure um, for, you know, a lot of people have smartphones, but they may not have, uh, you know, sufficient, you know, broadband or or otherwise in order to, you know, access certain types of uh, mental health platforms, even those provided through, you you know, licensed mental health services, you know, they were finding that, you know, some people just needed a telephone call instead of the digital mental health tools, because, you know, they didn't have that infrastructure. And the same can be seen, of course, on the global scale, uh, is really being aware that, you know, as much as it can seem uh, like, you know, a a great thing, lots of people have smartphones, you know, you can uh, reach people on the go. that there's other elements to that infrastructure, whether it's broadband, or, uh, you know, let's say that something comes up that you you do need to connect those people to face to face services, for example, if they're having a crisis, uh, that there's still a problem with that lack of infrastructure. Although I would also say on the flip side, that, you know, there are examples, you know, for example, uh, you know, examples coming out of, uh, you know, Nigeria um, uh, uh, and, you know, uh, that that indicate that when when uh, an app or a digital mental health intervention is designed with the, the sort of local context in mind, you know, so, for example, designing an app to, to mainly be text-based, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, which is something that more, more smartphones, uh, uh, can, or, or regular, uh, you know, cell phones can handle, um, and using them in ways that's meant to, you know, just sort of identify need or, or just fill in need for people who may have, uh, you know, more moderate mental health needs, or, you know, to connect them to services that when when uh, the apps or otherwise are designed in ways that really keep in mind, you know, what, what is the need in our local context? What do most of the people in our local context have some access to so mm-hmm. that this mm-hmm. can be helpful, um, that there can be successes? And that has been seen, as I said, in, you know, some examples uh, of, you know, app app use or app design in, you know, Nigeria and some other uh, lower middle income countries. So, so I think we could definitely say that the need for more um, personalized and tailored uh, uh, um, applications or technologies really that suit the, 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 the local culture um, um, is, 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 is not only, a, 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 um, you know, a, a benefit, but also really a requirement in order to ensure um, um, an efficient uh, um, yeah an efficient um, use of these technologies within local communities definitely so um, I think also also one of one of the discussions that has been raised uh, when it comes to mental health apps um, is of course the 
the the the the physician patient um, relationship, um, and how that could be uh, jeopardized or really uh, in 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 some ways threatened with the introduction of um, mental health applications. What what do you believe mental health applications offer or bring to the table that? therapists do not offer or cannot offer? I, I think, you know, there, there's a few things. And, and definitely, I, I think it's useful to note what uh, some of the positives are. Um, so, you know, one thing is that, you know, as I said, in, in regular mental health care, there's, there's not, uh, or face-to-face, uh, there's not always uh, a great fit, uh, you know, between, uh, you know, a therapist uh and uh, a client, um, there's also, you know, sometimes that people actually, there, you know, certain people actually do feel more comfortable interacting with a with a device than they do with someone who, you know, they they may have other concerns about that interaction. Uh, you know, just having another person hear it uh, may be uh, more intimidating than you know mm-hmm. interacting with the device, um, and. That you know, so so that's one consideration, uh, and a, a bigger one, of course, is simply that uh, you know the app can uh, or you know uh, the device can provide uh, you know opportunities for you know when when people are at home or you know or otherwise where it can reach them where they are. Um, in ways that can also be useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, those are certainly, uh, you know, clear opportunities that, um, that mental health apps offer um, that, uh, you know, that have shown, for example, over the pandemic, uh, there, there have been a, a number of times, you know, talking to therapists or, or otherwise, you know, about, you know, using digital um, mental health apps, you know, with their clients. Uh, where they talk about that, you know, definitely there are those kinds of pluses that, uh, you know, the person, you know, indicated that, uh, you know, it's, it was really like nice sometimes Mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, they, um, they were able to just sort of reach out, use the app, interact with the app, you know, and as I said, often it's most useful working on a particular issue, um, you know, or skill or, and, and that was, that was in fact very useful for them that they didn't have to, you know, have the, you know, additional burdens that might come from, you know, having to go be face to face with someone and instead be able to, you know, get some care that they needed where they were. Yeah. And, and so I wonder, and I'm actually interested whether you think that this holds true for, um, chatbots or um, mental health apps that actually make use of chatbots instead of, um, uh, you know, real uh, therapists? So, you know, there are some indications. And and as I said, I mean, putting real parameters around this, uh, that, you know, that the chatbot cannot take the place of a therapist, Uh, you know, overall, uh, just simply can't. (laughs) Um, But, um, you know, again, there are some indications that, you know, some very sort of simple um, informational uses of chatbots, you know, for some, you know, types of issues, you know, again, mild to moderate, you know, get, you know, more when it's more just about getting some basic information. 
um, that they that they can be useful to people. Um, but you know, again, to go back to the safety issue, though, um, obviously this is with a lot of caveats of it's very important for chatbots to be vetted for safety um, because, uh, you know, there are a, a number of instances, you know, whether it's people reaching out to like Siri or Alexa mm-hmm. um, yeah. or, or, you know, those types of, you know, inter, um, interactive agents um, where, uh, you know, they, they've received some really problematic interactions and, you know, and, and there are definitely harms associated with it, um, and, you know, of not, not actually being able to connect to good care or even receiving bad advice, um, things that could harm them. Um, and so that, that's with a lot of caveats yes, around, yes. around chatbots. But again, you know, it's really thinking about how you tailor and, and vet, you know, the particular tool for a use. There, there can be some instances where a chatbot can be useful, but, you know, with the very clear indications that no, they are not replacing, you know, therapists any, anytime soon and probably not for a long time, if ever. Can we, can we maybe, you know, say that chatbots are a good alternative or in addition to a kind of, you know, journaling system that kind of lets you vent as, as compared to, you know, a therapist, which is actually trying to, um, you know, tackle a particular a problem underlying a certain mental illness? Can, can we look at it as such? Right. You know, again, in that, you know, a tool for a, a specific, you yeah. know, um, grounded purpose, you know, definitely. And, you know, again, as a, a reminder of the, you know, con- sort of spectrum of mental health uh, care that we may be talking about, you know, self, self-health books, mm-hmm. um, you know, ha- have had a long history, uh, you know, with mental health care. And there are a number of times that, you know, mental self-help books um, can be found to be actually helpful for, you know, certain types of things like the journaling that you're talking about. And so if you think about sometimes mental health apps, you know, being just tools to fill that sort of specific (laughs) need, then, you know, definitely that there is room for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 um, I, I I never thought about it as such, you know, self-help books and, and, uh, um, mental uh, health. Uh, it's also a supportive tool that uh, we, we, we normally don't necessarily consider in, in, in light of, of um, you know, men- mental health uh, um, um, problems that we may be facing. Um, but if, if we want to reverse the question, so how about looking at it from, you know, what can therapists offer that mental health apps don't offer? And I think you, of course, made one very clear distinction, especially in particular in relation to chatbots, that chatbots can never replace therapists. But if we're talking, you know, about mental health apps that actually make use of the input of a therapist, what can therapists, what is that in, how can that in-person therapy session, um, you know, not, not one, why do we not want to miss it? Why, why is it crucial to have those in-person therapy sessions? Right. And, and, you know, again, it's, um, it's more critical if you're talking, you know, sort of moderate to severe mental Mm -hmm. health issues that, that oversight is, um, is generally needed. Uh, you know, some of it is, you know, having, uh, that, that 
training and expertise to to recognize and respond to you know in the moment issues that that person may be having particularly you know mental health crises where uh you know some oversight you know has, has you know again and again it's it's indicated it's it's needed yeah. <laughs> that you know there there simply isn't ai or digital tools uh, that can replace, you know, someone who is able to bring to bear their their specific expertise and respond in the moment to situations as they're developing. So on the crisis side, you know, that that's one of the, the big issues. And it's one of the concerns that I, I do hear again and again, <laughs> um, you know, both on the developer and um, clinician side is, you know, digital, how, you know, finding ways to to um, to think about, you know, how and, and whether, you know, digital health tools can, you know, step in when it comes to, you know, identifying, responding to crises. But I, I mean, I, th- I think there's also, you know, additional issues that uh, there's, uh, you know, responsiveness to just uh, uh, a patient's, you know, concerns or, or a client's concerns. Um, you know, in the moment that, you know, there just simply isn't that type of flexibility in, you know, digital mental health tools at the moment. Um, and so I, I think, you know, the, those are uh, some of the types of things that <laughs> that uh, a therapist, you know, can offer um, that mental health apps can't. And, you know, while there, as I said, there's some people who for certain things are are more responsive or maybe feel better able to react with a, a tool, uh, There, there's also, of course, a lot of people where that, that extra moment of, you know, being able to interact with another human does count for a lot too. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, that sense of obligation, uh, you know, professional obligation and otherwise uh, that, a, you know, a, a, a therapist or, you know, clinician brings to the encounter um, are, are very important. If, if I'm not mistaken, there are even studies showing that this has a, a, a beneficial effect on, on therapy in general and on the prognosis of, of, of a patient, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it, uh, overall, yes, definitely. Um, that, you know, if you, if you, uh, you know, establish that therapeutic relationship, that that in itself, uh, you know, has that, that beneficial effect. Mm-hmm. So if, if we want to move on to, I would say, yet another challenge that, that is raised when it comes to uh, uh, those digital mental health uh, technologies, we, of course, talk in general, when we're talking about digital health technologies, we talk about the issue of privacy. Um, do you, and I think that applies, of course, as well for those mental health applications. Will, will privacy always be an issue when it comes to this particular technology? Um, I, I think in some ways, uh, it's hard to, you know, completely take privacy out of the equation as a concern. But it could be made a lot better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there, there are a number of, of ways that, you know, pri- the privacy concerns could be reduced. Um, so, you know, with um, digital mental health uh, and, you know, we've, we've been talking, you know, fairly broadly about them. But, you know, there's there's different types. You know, there's ones that are designed as consumer apps, uh, you know, that may not have a, a therapist associated. There's apps that 
you know, bring a, a therapist, uh, you know, together, um, you know, through the digital mental health app to people. And I, I'm bringing that up in terms of privacy, because there's there's one layer of concerns uh, that is, you know, if, if it's a, a digital mental health tool where you're interacting with the therapist in some ways, uh, that there's the the actual interaction, you know, are, are these being recorded in some ways, you know, the words that are being exchanged. Uh, and, um, you know, in, in Finland, uh, a couple of years ago, now there was a, a hacking scandal, yeah. uh, that one of those platforms uh, that connected people to mental health care, uh, you know, did not have sufficient uh, security for its data. Uh, and, uh, you know, people were, uh, you know, bad actors were, were able to hack that data uh, and try to blackmail people through it. So, so there's that level of, you know, safety of the data. Um, but I think what's, you know, sort of less, less talked about, less known are that, uh, you know, besides the actual, you know, sort of therapeutic interaction, uh, there's a lot of, you know, our apps that uh, collect other types of data, like GPS data, um, or, you know, uh, other data, you know, going into the phone, uh, there's now more opportunities, you know, depending on your phone to, you know, sort of, you know, put some limits on how the app is collecting data. But that that, that is still another level of privacy concerns. Uh, and part of why it's a privacy, you know, a, a big issue is that more and more, uh, there are analytics that can be applied to that data, so that, uh, you know, people can use your location data to, uh, you know, uh, develop inferences on, you know, depression, anxiety, yeah. a yeah. number of things that are sensitive information. And, you know, um, a lot of times people aren't aware, uh, you know, because it's uh, for consumer apps, because it's in the, the terms and conditions, you know, that uh, none of us, none of us read understandably. <laughs> it's very dense and, and difficult to get through, but that information may be sold and shared, um, you know, by, um, by the consumer app. Uh, and, you know, on top of that, uh, you know, um, uh, Kit Huckfail did a, a study uh, a couple years ago that also indicated that uh, you know, there was a certain percentage of consumer apps uh, that were um, not doing what they, you know, not acting in accordance to what their terms and conditions were and, you know, selling <laughs> selling data or giving yeah. data to parties um, in ways that, uh, you know, um, that they were not informing people about. Um, and, you know, these all taken together in, uh, you know, in an overall data landscape where, you know, selling brokering data is billions of dollars of business. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that's, you know, that's why there's a lot of layers to this and why there's a lot of concern about it. Um, in terms of it always being a concern, you know, as I was saying, you know, some of it depends on things like, uh, you know, having some stronger regulations out there, yeah. um, you know, to protect people from, uh, data brokerage um, and and uh, and otherwise uh, that could uh, you know significantly reduce these concerns. I can I can also imagine that this 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 issue that that we are raising can also create some kind of resistance in a small subgroup of individuals that you know could be a good uh, a target group for the use of these uh, mental health apps, but because 
there is some kind of associated stress with their data being leaked, their data being hacked, that they would otherwise, you know, refrain from making use of what what is otherwise probably a very useful uh, uh, technology, a very useful health application. Could 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 that hold true? Uh, that that could. I mean, you know, remember the the underlying idea why there's an ethical obligation for confidentiality. You know, um, in uh, you know, in general in health, but like definitely for mental health professionals, is that this is very sensitive information, and you're supposed to be able to give people that assurance that they can share that information honestly uh, as part of you know receiving care. Uh, and that's when when that's taken away, that that very much is the concern that uh, you know that it will make you know more people hesitate to get that care, uh, and uh, you know I, I'm sure you know many people are aware of this, but I mean it, it really bears underlining. Uh, you know, mental health concerns, even though there's been a, a more opening up in, you know, uh, in areas of society of being able to start talking about them, they can still be hugely stigmatizing. And it's understandable that people would be very hesitant uh, to share that information. Uh, although I'll also say uh, at the moment, um, my concern is probably more people even being aware <laughs> that, yeah. that, you know, their, their data being used in this way is a problem, uh, you know, or has potential repercussions for them. So uh, uh, at the moment, my concern is a little bit more on the awareness side. Yeah. Uh, but but what you're saying is completely the reason why, um, you know, this, this is a problem. And what I would add to this is that, you know, because of, you know, the models uh, of some um, mental health apps uh, and, you know, that, again, you know, it's it's so difficult accessing uh, or having resources to access mental health care in, in so many places. Uh, an added concern is, you know, putting people in the position that they're essentially selling their data in order to get care, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, and often without even realizing that. And that's that's a huge concern. Yeah, I can I can I can, you know, now on the top of my head, I can also think of another reason why we would want um, our data to be shared. And I think there is also this field of digital phenotyping where. Uh, based on your digital use and behavior, um, one can, for example, or you know, your 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 physician, your therapist, can know whether you are, um, I don't know, probably about to commit suicide or uh, are involved in you know self destructive or self harming behavior. So, what 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 is your uh, point of view on 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 that aspect of? privacy but really more used in 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 a in a good in a good way for for good purpose no i i think that's a great question because you know a lot of times people think of privacy as one thing you know yeah. just you know protecting data but but privacy is is pretty much always about trade-offs um and you know what you're bringing up here is this trade-off between uh, you know, both the, you know, broader scientific and social benefit that that can come from, you know, so, at least, uh, you know, medical, <laughs> medical researchers are, are otherwise having access to the data, as well as certain instances where there might uh, be also more personal benefit from that. Uh, and, you know, when I was, you know, mentioning regulation before, I, I think that is, you know, one of the things uh, that is, you um, you know, a balance in this is that, 
you know, there's there's a lot of behavioral information, uh, you know, coming um, out of apps or otherwise that could be of great benefit, uh, both in better understanding mental illness because, uh, or, or a number of mental disorders, um, because, you know, in the past, uh, you know, research was often restricted to, you know, people who are in a crisis or people once they're in a, in an office. And this gives the opportunity to understand better, you know, people, you know, in between, you know, how, how, uh, you know, their, their behavior, their mental state may uh, develop over time. Uh, so it's, it's a huge opportunity research wise. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, that's where, um, you know, they, they do need to think about what the balance of that is uh, in terms of, you know, who can, who can access some of that data, have the opportunities to research from it. When we're talking about personal benefit from something like digital phenotyping, um, you know, I, I think you point out what the goal is, you know, that, um, you know, the goal is that, uh, you know, you can use this information also for people's individualized benefit. Um, but, uh, you know, what, what I would, you know, to, to go back to some of the, the safety and vetting issues, uh, is, uh, you know, you need that data on a research level (laughs) in order to get to the point to, um, to see, you know, whether, uh, you know, safe, um, you know, sort of safe, effective ways of using that data for, for individual benefit can be developed, um, because, you know, otherwise you can unleash a, a sort of imperfect system of behavioral surveillance yeah. um, that, you know, doesn't doesn't help people on a, on a clinical level, um, but still, you know, sort of puts puts their data out there or, um, you know, uh, in ways that that may not give them benefit or, or even may, you know, lead to, you know, repercussions or, or harms uh, like, uh, you know, Facebook. Uh, with its, uh, you know, suicide, suicide identifying tool, um, where there's not that much transparency, uh, you know, about, uh, you know, its effectiveness, or what kinds of, you know, resources uh, it's tied to afterwards, you know, if people are actually able to get care, um, or, you know, if, uh, you know, it leads to, you know, people who are improperly identified, or to, uh, you know, in the U.S., you have sometimes police sent, you know, on these visits, which yeah. can end up, you know, escalating a crisis instead of, you know, helping it. So it, th- th- those are things that I would add as concerns around <laughs> that type of um, solution, even though, again, the, the research benefit, a lot of this information uh, would provide, you know, it is certainly, um, you know, a, a, a big area of interest and something that needs to be balanced with these privacy interests. Definitely. And I think this, this also, of course, raises so many um, philosophical questions, you know, do, 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 do individuals have a duty to contribute to research as such, or is it, is it also um, overruling their autonomy and, and, and agency by, you know, having them feed into that, that, that whole research uh, um, um, scenario or that research narrative, uh, um, right. which, 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 of course, is, 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 a, is a question uh, in and of its own. But when, when, when we talked about privacy, you touched upon the, which I believe is, is, is one of the most important questions uh, or, or, or notions, and that is that of regulation. Um, which which brings me to my question of do digital mental health interventions 
go through as we speak, so nowadays, high scrutiny before being released? Well, again, this goes to, you know, the, the sort of overall, um, there's consumer apps um, and, uh, you know, that, that are, uh, you know, released uh, direct to people. And they're generally released under the sense of the being wellness apps. And so, um, you know, they're not necessarily or, or they aren't subject to uh, uh, in the U.S., for example, um the FDA regulates medical devices, uh, and because a lot of the consumer mental health apps, uh, in fact, most of them are are under this idea of wellness, but doesn't meet the definition of medical device. Uh, they're they're not regulated in that way. Um, that's part of where you know there has been you know more uh, interest, uh, you know at least from the the clinical side, in uh, you know an area uh, thought of as digital therapeutics which would be medical devices or which are classified as medical devices and do go through that that scrutiny of uh, of effectiveness um and uh you know that that's certainly uh, uh a goal <laughs> um yeah. it's understandable as you know you talked about with the thousands of apps being produced this causes issues for regulation um and you know that's that's part of where it has been structured that you know, um, with the FDA, uh, at least in the in the U.S., uh, that you know you have medical devices uh, that are um, regulated, and they also focus more on what they consider high risk devices. Uh, uh, you know, low risk devices. They use their discretion. Uh, I always find this a nice phrase of like enforcement discretion, where they do not <laughs> use that <laughs> discretion to regulate those that they consider low risk. Yeah. Um, and I, I think one of the problems in that area is they, they often base their risk on a sense of physical risk, um, which can really, you know, discount the harms that can come exactly. from, uh, you know, Im improperly deployed mental health advice. Yeah. Uh, I, there's, you know, a famous example of, uh, of an uh, informational mental health app uh, that had advised, you know, people uh, who are, you know, having a manic episode of bipolar disorder, uh, you know, advised them to use, you know, alcohol in this app, oh, wow. uh, which is very much against, yeah. <laughs> against yeah. you know, uh, the therapeutic advice. That, that can cause real harms. Um, and, you know, that, as I said, that's not necessarily captured by, by the risk profile that, um, that the FDA employs. And so, you know, th that's where this, you know, area, um, you know, still has a number of concerns, you know, about, uh, you know, if not the FDA, you know, what are the ways of addressing this? Uh, you have, um, you know, for example, the American Psychiatric Association, which has been, you know, trying to, um, you know, or which has put out frameworks for evaluating apps, um, but that's uh, uh, that's aimed at clinicians for, you know, evaluating apps. But that's still, you know, uh, not a, a step removed from actually having, yeah. you know, uh, an agency or focused, you know, attention to, uh, you know, being the entity that that evaluates those apps. So, so I think. As a conclusion, concluding remark, there is still work to be done in 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 that uh, um, in that um, regards. Right, I, I sometimes say still evolving. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. So, with with you know, I think our whole world really moving into this uh, um, digital sphere. 
Um, do you do you believe that there is a pressure among therapists to go digital to uh, uh, really um, make use of these uh, digital um, mental health applications? Uh, I I think it's a yes and no. Um, so. Uh, you know, the pandemic really in the area of, you know, mental health care pushed a lot of people online. Um, and, you know, certainly that, that just became a necessity in the past, yeah. you know, couple years uh, in terms of, you know, having to use, you know, digital platforms and do more telehealth. Um, but in terms of, you know, going more broadly digital, you know, in terms of apps, Uh, you know, I, I think that really depends on the practice and the place. Um, and, uh, you know, a, a number, a number of um, clinicians, I think, uh, you know, at most, you know, have identified, you know, a few apps that they, they think of as, as useful um, and, it, uh, and, you know, employ those. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I've also talked to a number who, you know, they don't seem to feel a particular, you know, pressure to do so. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and so it's, it's more sort of, you know, left, left to them, uh, you know, the extent to which, you know, aside from the telehealth, which is still a big thing, <laughs> um, you know, how much to, you know, rely on other types of tools for support. I, I think it, it's very, you know, mixed in that instance. And, uh, there's not necessarily, um, a huge amount of pressure that way. Um, but I, I can also see that building over time, you know, as more people be, are, uh, become aware of these tools. And, and as you have other pressures, uh, you know, that then, you know, the continued use of telehealth for many people and otherwise that I, I think that it's still part of an overall system that is moving in that way. And that, uh, you know, they, they will, um, you know, start having more instances where, you know, that's just expected to become part of practice. I think also especially that we see young generate the, the younger generation, um, yeah, really being mostly um, 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 consumed by, um, you know, their, their, their uh, smartphone and everything that is digital. I think this will also at some point really become... Uh, um, um, Be, be, become needed to to move towards more of of uh, um, yeah this digital aspect of of mental health uh, um, uh, interventions no definitely although i i think you know that that's an interesting side um is that i a lot of the expectation is that you know this is particularly aimed at interventions for young people which which certainly is part of the case But it's also rather interesting because there's there's a fair amount of uptake among um, you know middle aged women, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know I, I think I, I think that goes to the sort of overall uh, sometimes issues of you know um, equity and design and otherwise of you know who who are these tools most suited for and sometimes do there need to be adjustments for different populations including young people yeah. <laughs> um who uh you know these tools um even though you know many people think oh they're on their smartphones all the time you know they'll just take this up um that there still needs to be work to be done about what actually suits young people yeah. versus you know older and and so forth So if, if from, you know, your experience, your expertise, 
what would you advise, um, you know, the audience, uh, people that are interested or want, want to know more about uh, mental health apps? What do you advise them to take into account um, in, 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 you know, in, in making use of these um, um, mental health applications? What is, if we could say, you know, the most ethical and effective way to, uh, to use them? I, I think, uh, you know, some of some of um, what I would aim towards is, you know, what I've already said is where they found where, where are these most effective, uh, you know, mild to moderate <laughs> uh, symptoms. Um, so, you know, some someone who is, you know, feeling more strongly a sense of crisis, I, I think, you know, really needs to be directed to. Uh, and hopefully connect to, you know, in person, yeah. uh, you know, in person care. Um, but, you know, ethical and effective, I mean, there's, um, there's also recognizing, as I said, that, you know, the, these best work as tools for, you know, very specific aspects of mental health care, you know, again, you know, sort of building, Uh, you know, building meditation skills, if that's something that, you know, can help with uh, anxiety <laughs> um, or, you know, journaling, those types of things that, um, that you know, at this point that, um, that often is, you know, one of the more, uh, you know, effective and useful ways is, you know, to think of it as th this is a tool for a specific thing. Um, and, you know, I, in some ways I hate, I, I, I I see the, the problem in saying, you know, people have to do their own research because, uh, you know, that's, you know, that, that's a whole other thing. Most people aren't situated, best situated in a way to, you know, do their own research, you know, not un quite understand the, you know, studies or landscape or otherwise. But, but also um, not, not all the information out there is reliable, right? That's, exactly, that's another exactly. issue. Exactly. You know that this doesn't escape the the whole issue also of studies that may be uh, you know funded by yeah, yeah. by the companies themselves uh, yeah. you know all of those types of things um, and so you know that's where I would hesitate but you know as I said there there are starting to be some more um, organizations uh, like the APA. Um, or otherwise that are putting the work into, uh, you know, sort of outlining what to look for, uh, you know, finding that, you know, sort of trusted organization to get a recommendation from if, if you are not in the position where you can, you know, actually get the advice from a therapist themselves. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I think that those are a lot of considerations in mind. And, you know, the, the data issue, the privacy issue, it, you know, remains an issue. Um, and I think that's another reason, you know, to, you know, look for that advice <laughs> about apps. Um, and the, the flip side is, uh, you know, saying there, there are some trusted organizations um, so uh, that, that also, you know, use data more responsibly. So um, in the U.S., you know, you have the, the Veteran Affairs Administration uh, actually has a number of, you know, useful apps that are open to the public. Um, Northwestern University has, uh, you know, a, a mobile, uh, you know, digital health center that has some apps. And so, 
you know, um, you know, in addition to, you know, getting recommendations from a trusted person, uh, there also are some organizations that are really geared towards mental health care and not towards that consumer side uh, that have produced some apps that that can be useful. And so those can also be things to look out for. Uh, and, and I say a lot of therapists are, are still looking for how to get reliable information about apps. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and those are those are similar things that a lot of, you know, them uh, have gravitated towards are, you know, a trusted organization or a trusted source, um, you know, to be able to, uh, you know, get these recommendations from. I, I just want to add to 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 um, the point you mentioned about you know the, the 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 mixed feelings about one doing their own research when when I was doing my my own research about um, mental health um, um, apps um, I really stumbled across a um, a page uh, where they were kind of giving an overview of the top ten uh, best mental health mobile apps. Um, that that you need to you know that you need to make use of, and one of them was really listing um, a number of those apps with the pros and cons, and I think after having this conversation, I just realized I think none of those apps or none of the 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 the, the things that were mentioned in terms of you know cons had to do with privacy or had to do with any of the current ethical implications that are absolutely not solved for any of those app apps. So which brings me to think that even if you're going to find, you know, some some criticism about uh, what is out there, it is it is, is it, it is still a biased criticism and it, it it is still an incomplete criticism of um of of the bigger picture of, you know, those ethical implications that we are talking about now and that really make up um one of the biggest challenges uh, um, when it comes to those uh, uh, to this technology. No, it's, it's a huge challenge. And, you know, a, a number of those types of lists are geared around usability, which, yeah. which is understandable. If, if you're not going to use the app you yeah. know, at the end yeah. of the day, that yeah. doesn't help you anyway. But it, exactly that, you know, they, they often overlook some other, uh, you know, considerations that are important, you know. Uh, you know, like privacy or, you know, ha uh, effectiveness, you yeah. know, overall. Yeah. Exactly. Um, that, yeah, definitely. So coming to my uh, very last question before we, 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 we end this, this very interesting discussion. So we discussed throughout our, our discussion, we, we brought up the, 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 the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, and how that has influenced um, not only the, 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 the overall global mental health uh, uh, challenge, but also, of course, uh, how it has driven towards an increase of the use of digital uh, mental health uh, um, applications or interventions. Um, so my, my first question is, um, what do you, how do you think this has changed or influenced the relationship between therapists and patients? And, and can we learn anything from the, no, the COVID-19 pandemic, which has really had a, a, a big uh, um, um, impact on not only our social life, but also on the mental health um, of, of, of many um, individuals in our society? Yeah, no, um, so... In terms of, you know, the, the therapeutic relationship, uh, you know, there, there's some concerns about, you know, whether, 
you know, whether they have all the tools at their disposable disposal, you know, like really being able to see someone face to face, you know, to fully help them. But there's been a, a number of positives on that side where, you know, people are, uh, uh, a lot of people have told me their clients are less likely to miss appointments yeah. <laughs> um, because it has been made easier. So uh, it, it has been shown that there's a number of ways that, you know, telehealth, uh, connecting people a little bit more, you know, through these digital means can be positive. Um, I think at the same time, it has underlined, you know, privacy remains a concern <laughs> um, yeah. that, uh, you know, um, inequities remain a huge concern because there are a lot of people who ended up not being able to access their care through these means as easily. Uh, and, you know, one thing that was interesting that uh, a number of people brought up to me uh, was, um, for example, uh, support groups for men, you know, over the age of, you know, 40. It turned out they actually benefited often more from face to face and were, you know, not not as open to, you know, trying to do this through technology. And I just bring that as a, up as an example of, you know, there's still being a, a lot of a lot of ways to go, um, you know, in terms of, you know, adapting tools in ways that that help different populations, but also recognizing some populations just aren't going to probably be as open to it. Um, but I, I think another thing um, that, you know, in your question of there, you know, also being, you know, more mental health um, problems coming out of the pandemic is that I think, you know, what a, a number of people, um, you know, think about are, you know, trying to use technology to solve issues that are, are social issues sometimes that, you know, a lot of the, the rates of depression, anxiety are coming up in the pandemic because of people losing their jobs, people yes. having, you know, yeah. inadequate um, access to food, et cetera. Um, and so I think a, a huge reminder that, you know, sometimes rather than tools, you know, the social support <laughs> uh, is still very much needed, uh, you know, um, investment in, uh, you know, connecting families to resources that they need beyond, you know, digital tools is, is hugely important still in just the, you know, overall, you know, mental, global mental health care um, concerns. Nicole, I want to thank you very much for this very interesting and insightful discussion. I think we touched upon some of the most important um, 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 points um, and, and ethical considerations when it comes to digital mental health um, applications. But of course, I don't think we covered everything um, and, and definitely did not go into the, uh, uh, the, 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 the detail that, that these topics uh, uh, deserve. Um, but I think this, of course, would serve the purpose to give an idea for, for our audience about the importance of uh, looking at the ethical implications of um, 
current but also emerging technologies and how best to think critically um, about how they influence our our, our, our daily lives and, 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 and what we should be careful um, um, about when, when uh, uh, choosing to really consume and make use of them for our own um, benefit. So thank you very much. I hope that everyone enjoyed this discussion um, and um, till next time. Thank you very much.